welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. It's about two minutes after 8 p.m. on whatever day it is. It's definitely not a Friday. Not Apparently, Friday. I've been told it's not a Friday. <laughs> and we've got a really special guest on our Zoom today. I screwed it up the first time, I think. I think I had a little scheduling mishap happen. But I'm very, very grateful that you have uh, rescheduled and joined us today. We have a staple in the massage therapy community. Yay. And it's going to be real cool to have a have a really down-to-earth conversation. Yes. Hey, everyone. It's Amanda. And as Mark said, we've got someone that a lot of you may know. So typically, I do introduce our guests with first name only. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I'm surprised you said yes when we said, hey, do you want to be on our podcast? <laughs> <laughs> that is not a good way to start, Mark. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. The truth is. Well, uh, for those of you listening, some of you probably already know this name. We've got Pam Fitch on our Zoom today. And um, we really just wanted to have her on because, as Mark said, she is kind of a staple in the massage therapy community. She's a registered massage therapist and an educator. Courses, books, everything. 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 What don't everything. you do? How about well, that? And, and I just... Do you cook? Do you cook? Oh, yeah. Do you build motorcycles? No. Oh, so close. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyway, we're, we just wanted to have her on because um, if we're talking massage community and experience, like Mark just said, Pam's kind of had her hand in everything and every aspect. And we thought we could get some uh, really interesting bits of information from her. So yes, thank you for rescheduling and hanging out with us tonight. So late on a Tuesday. It's my absolute pleasure. Thanks for asking me. Well, Pam, before we start, for anyone who doesn't know who you are, because we do have listeners um, internationally, although I think even, you know, some of our American listeners probably know who you are. But um, could you give a bit of an introduction about yourself, sort of, um, you know, how you started in this profession, some of the cool things you've done, and this little tidbit of information you gave me before we started that you are like, on the verge of retiring right now. Like hours from now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll go backwards. I've been a full-time faculty at Algonquin College in Ottawa, Canada for almost 20 years. And literally tomorrow is my last day. So this is uh, timely that you would invite me and thanks for doing so. Um, before that, I was in full-time practice, like lots of massage therapists, and I still see clients. Um, so I can't, uh, uh, I can't let go of this profession. It's just in my DNA and I, I love it so much. Um, prior to being in massage, I was in media relations and speech writing and arts and that kind of thing. So, uh, communication and conversation, those are really interesting comfort areas for me. It makes a lot of sense. I was, uh, on your website, actually, before we started up tonight, I just wanted to take a look at, you know, if there was anything I was missing before we started uh, talking to you tonight. And I see like a lot of the the courses and seminars that you offer are about exactly that, um, the therapeutic relationship and communication and ethics and professionalism. What is it about that as aspect of the profession that drives you so much? Why do you feel that you want to share that with the RMT community? I feel quite strongly that massage therapists have a very complex job. And I'm not sure that every massage therapy program, educator, administrator, or curriculum builder recognizes how challenging the interpersonal things are for massage therapists. Like we have the equivalent of uh, diplomas in community colleges or of a uh, private vocational school certificate. 
And we are being asked to deal with people who sometimes are facing end of life care, Mm -hmm. or they've got really complex situations with their conditions, or they've had life trauma, or they're living with uh, mental health issues. It's almost never talked about in most massage therapy programs. We get a lot of messaging from our regulator to suggest that we should uh, maintain boundaries, um, avoid transference. That's hard to avoid because transference is a natural part of the process, but I digress. Uh, That we should never engage in personal relations with our clients. That's a given. Um, And then in practice, clients fall in love with their massage therapist. Clients want to be friends with their massage therapist. Clients ask us personal questions and we don't know how to answer them. Uh, There are so many rich and awkward ways that massage therapists can get into trouble. So I'm a little bit of a frustrated novelist. And I think that one of the reasons why I have just written about this stuff is because I can see over and over again how complex and challenging that aspect of our work is. Like nobody's ever complained about how somebody did effleurage. They have complained many times about massage therapists working outside their scope, uh, saying inappropriate things, uh, sharing confidences, gossiping. Oh, and then the big ticket stuff like sexually abusing your clients and that complications. So, you know, um, I just think it's one of the most complex parts of our work. And in my own experience in our program uh, at Algonquin, we quite often fell into this silo where there would be the communication and the professional classes. And then there would be the theory and the lab and the clinic. And they would live in kind of two separate domains. So I taught one thing and other teachers taught the other. But we had a very big challenge as a program integrating the student's knowledge of the professional practice stuff. So that's why I'm fascinated by it. Why do you think this is not more, why do you think it it plays such a small role in the education? In other words, there are so many private career colleges that have the opera. I don't know how a community college works because I've been involved in private career colleges for for a while. And there are so many, and I was involved in curriculum development and changing around curriculum. And so it's actually quite easy to change around curriculum in a private career college. I don't know how it easy is in, in, a, in a community college, but it's actually quite easy in a private career college because you can change up to 10% of a, of a program without without re-registering anything with the ministry, right? So it's actually quite easy to, to make changes. So why do you think that in, in in the majority of schools, this type of material is on the back burner? It, because to me, if this is so important, and, and we all agree it is, especially when you go out into the field and you actually start working, you're like, who the hell cares about speeds tests? But I really should have paid attention to everything else that was going on. Do you know what I mean? When the, when 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 my when my law and ethics professor, whoever was doing their thing, like this is the stuff that I need to know about. And I almost feel like a career college or whoever is creating these. Pro- 
programs at these schools should just bump up what they're doing at their school. Should just say, you know what? This is not necessarily part of the interjurisdictional competency document, but we believe at our institution that this is such an important bloody thing. We're going to add this stuff to our program. And if that means our program is longer, then that means our program is longer. Who cares? Because we're going to deliver quality. Why do you think that people just don't freaking do that? Because that bothers me so bloody much. Oh, look what's happened, co- Pam. He's off. He's because, off on his Because rant. these <laughs> private career colleges, I'm telling you, man, it's all about the freaking dollar. And it bothers me so bloody much. And I'll give you a complete different example of this. We have a friend, her daughter and our daughter, they're, they're in the same class together. And they're, they're immigrants. I can't remember where they're from, but it doesn't matter. And they roll into this private career college and she wanted to take a very specific program. And the, the rep from this school convinced her, don't take this program. You should take this other thing. And this other thing definitely leads to nowhere where the thing that she wanted to take would actually lead to something decent in her life. And that to me is a private career college that's just taking advantage of somebody. Sorry, you're staring at me like I shouldn't be saying this at all. No, no, no. It's okay. It's a private career college that's taking advantage of somebody that just doesn't know any better. And I feel like so many of these schools have the opportunity to make these programs really, really good. But for whatever reason, they are consciously making an effort to not. And I don't understand why and it bothers me. Pam's like, I don't know. I don't know what to say now. <laughs> so why do you think the, the, the stuff that we are agreeing now is like the real kind of meat of what goes on? The stuff well, where... Go ahead. I'll tell you why it's really, really hard. Um, it's hard to incorporate because you cannot lecture about this material. You have to engage students in a way that that all the cases make sense to them, that they picture themselves in those circumstances where massage therapists are getting in trouble and they suddenly identify with the massage therapist and you think, oh my God. So if the teacher is saying, what would you do in that circumstance? If you were this person in that case, um, well, what that requires of the students and definitely requires of the educators is the capacity to know your own uh, mind, to critically reflect on situations that are challenging. You have to be able to nimbly sidestep through the scope of practice, the standards of practice, the laws that we have to meet, and then get to how you feel about something. And that's really challenging. So um, in my experience, programs really struggle this with this material. And the easiest thing to do is to say, these are the laws, don't break them. This is the scope of practice, don't go outside of it. These are the standards of practice. This is what you do. Point final, that's the end of the conversation because it is so complex to engage people in a real way. But in my humble opinion, and you asked me, so I'm going to tell you, in my opinion, that's the only way you can get people to identify as good massage therapists. That's how they become good massage therapists, is identifying with the problems and figuring out how to solve them. I agree with you on that. I'm curious for everyone that's got the headphones on listening to us right now, which are YouTube people. (laughs) Is it the lack of the qualification of the instructor or is it the laziness of the instructor that presents the the barrier 
in the challenge, at least from the instructor standpoint? Can it be neither? There's a a strong bias in your your question. And so I'm not going to buy into the bias because I actually believe that there are educators who they just want to throw up their hands. They haven't a clue how to teach this material because until you've actually walked down the road, until somebody has said, would you help me solve this problem? It's hard to imagine how you're going to navigate the standards, the scope, the massage therapy act, the professional misconduct issues, right? Over time, I mean, I've, I've been doing this a long time. So in the course of my, the span of my career, I've been a peer supervisor, I've been an educator, I've been an expert witness, I have walked that walk, what goes wrong? And when should we have made a different decision? So we avoided this problem altogether. I've, I've done that many different ways. But most people teaching this material may not have that life experience, or they may not have had the formation or the the obsession, let's call it as a spade, a shovel, right? It's my personal obsession with uh, ethical decision-making. So it, unless somebody's really into that stuff, it's uh, it's hard. A lot of educators um, are basically told, this is the course that is available. Do you want to teach it? So if somebody wants to, they really want to teach, and it's the only way they can get into a program they'll accept to teach this material, but they don't necessarily have information, knowledge, perspective, or experience. That makes it hard. That would make it really hard. Even when before Mark asked uh, the question, I was thinking, you know, this is certain things like critical thinking and interpersonal relationships. All It's not something that is easily taught, I guess. Agreed. Like it, there's definitely... Um, a part, uh, like what you said, you have to have some experience and be able to actually put yourself into certain situations, which I think is really difficult for a lot of people, Mm -hmm. even people having the ability to take their own feelings about a situation or a scenario out of it and try to trying to understand something from another person's perspective. I think most people, even very well-educated adults, sometimes struggle with that because you have your own biases, you have your own feelings toward things. And people are so quick to say, well, this is what I would do and this is how I would do it. Well, you can't say this is what I would do and this is how I would do it until you actually say it wasn't me, right? Like I'm I am this therapist and these were were the details of the situation. These were the circumstances. That is really, really difficult. So I can see how a lot of educators would just kind of say, okay, well, this is the material that I have to teach. I have to teach a lot. I have to teach the ethics. I have to teach the scope. I have to teach the standards. And that's what they do. It takes somebody who is really passionate about this whole idea. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Mark, Mark's coming from... A, the perspective that he, I mean, he's hes also very passionate. We have a course in ethical decision-making that he wrote himself and hes he gets so into it. It like, I almost have to like hold him down on his seat when he's talking about these things sometimes. So, I mean, I know you get it. And I know obviously Pam knows what she's talking about. And I, I like to think that that's part of what makes me a good therapist is that I do understand this side of our profession. And I agree with you both that it's probably one of the biggest and most challenging parts of our profession. And I think it is where most therapists go wrong. Like, you know, when we teach business and we say to people, you're not the best massage therapist technically, like no offense to everyone who's ever taken our business course, but that's we like, you know, you're not necessarily the best 
massage therapist, technically, your patients come to see you. Why? Because of something you offer them psychologically. They, you know, they like you, they want to be around you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if you have that ability to relate to different types of people and, you know, not be so narrow in this little box, then you're going to be great in this career. But how do you teach someone that? Like, even as I'm saying it, I'm struggling to find the words. I'm not as eloquent as you are, Pam. But how do you teach someone that? I don't know if you can teach someone that, as you guys already said, but at least encourage that type of thinking to happen. Some some programs, and I've I've sat in the courses from stuff, and it's not even encouraged. I'm like, like, really? 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 I shouldn't be thinking? (laughs) You know, it's interesting. um, When I did uh, my degree in adult education, one of the areas of study is authenticity. Isn't that interesting, right? Because as massage therapists, I guarantee the least skilled, manually skilled therapists, if they can be authentic individuals with their clients, they're going to have full weeks and they will not be able to fit people in they'll be so busy they won't be the greatest massage therapist but really people come to us for more than just our hands absolutely like you said nobody's nobody's complaining about our efflorons right you can you can you can debate then whether that makes you a great massage therapist or not right so just because i don't have the the technical manual skills that are that are the best thing ever but i'm doing something positive for the people that come to see me then that does actually make you the good massage therapist and and in my experience uh, a lot of people with emotional intelligence that is something that's hard to teach very that's very hard to teach but when you have when you encounter somebody who has real emotional intelligence then they are able to take the perspective of another person very easily they can kind of mentally slip into the experience of their client and figure out what's going to make this person comfortable in the moment and structure whatever their encounter, their treatment plan is for that hour or whatever period of time you're working with somebody, they can structure that exactly the way that person wants. So emotional intelligence is hard to teach, but there are some really basic communication skills that, you know, people like lawyers and teachers and therapists and anybody who's interviewing another human being, if they're good at the interview, those are the skills that massage therapists can use because it means we watch, we observe, we uh, paraphrase back to the person what they've said to make sure that we have the right impression. You know, those kinds of skills make really good therapists. So in my opinion, it's my bias for sure. But I think that, that, People with emotional intelligence and who can be authentic and respectful, they're going to be busy. They're going to be very busy because that's what our clients are looking for. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I said emotional intelligence in my rant when I was fumbling over words, but that's exactly <laughs> what I was I was thinking is that that is, in my opinion, what makes a good massage therapist, what makes uh, pretty much any profession where you are dealing with other people because you can't always look at things from your perspective, right? I, you know, even at the beginning of this pandemic, you know, I've brought it up a couple of times that meme that was on Facebook where it was, you know, everybody stopped saying we're all in the same boat, 
right? We're all in the same storm, but we're in very different boats, right? Some are on yachts while some are on dinghy boats and some are just drowning. So being water able to, water wings. and you're in, you have water wings, yeah. being able to actually understand what your patients need or even, you know, other, other people you're working with, you know, what they're dealing with. So I, I like that you have taken on this challenge of trying to help therapists recognize that this is a huge part of what we do, if not the biggest part of what we do, because as you've both said, like our manual skills, I mean, we've all got them. We've had the training. We went to the schools. It, it, I don't think our patients care if we're the absolute best when we petrosage or if we are okay, but we're listening to them and we're, we're giving them what they need for their appointment time or their treatment plan. So let's do this. Let's go all the way back. Let's go back to you starting in massage. Let's go back to what you were doing before, why you went into massage and this type of therapist that you are now, I assume it's something that you've evolved into. Uh, I, that's my assumption that you didn't just walk into massage therapy school and you're like, yep, this is me and I'm, I'm, I'm the greatest at all the shit that I do. No offense, but you know what I mean? You do some really good stuff. So I assume <laughs> that grew out of somewhere and I would love to hear how the evolution came to be. Okay. You, nobody's ever asked me this question. So uh, how, do, how far back do you want me to go? <laughs> wherever, wherever you want to take us. When I was a very small girl, I, uh, well, I am a singer. I sing in a choir. I've sung over the years, all my life. So I'm a musician, singer, and a performer. And one of the things that I absolutely loved in every experience of performing was that sense of connecting with another human being. So for me, as I matured as a performer, I would get to the point where I could actually get people to oh, that, 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 that feeling after a song or a performance of some sort. If I got that, I would say, oh, that was the best. But I also knew that performing, I, I wasn't good enough to really, you know, go far in that realm. So what usually happens in music is when you train in music, you want to be the performer, but usually people say you should be an educator. <laughs> and I, and I, I started down a road of music education and realized that uh, I didn't have classroom management skills. I didn't have, I was the youngest in my family. I didn't do a lot of babysitting. So I didn't have any caretaking skills that came naturally. I was quite flummoxed by the whole education thing. So I went into arts administration and uh, eventually that led to media relations and, and, and working in events management and public relations. I want to ask you about the teaching, about the teaching music, because it really interests me. Does, I imagine it's, I play music and I imagine it's bloody hard to be a musician teaching people music, watching talent, raw talent in front of you. And that raw talent either doesn't recognize the raw talent or doesn't care. And you as that musician, because you're a musician before you're an educator. Like, for example, my high school music teacher, he's, he's, a, he's, he's a Juno winning jazz drummer, played with Oscar Peterson. And I used to see the frustration in this man's face, Stanley Perry. He was frustrated as hell because he sees this group of kids in front of him and some of them have some the raw freaking talent 
And he's trying to just pull this out of them and they just don't give a crap. They don't care. And I can just see the frustration. He's like, you can go so far, kid, but your work ethic is garbage. And I'm just wondering as a music teacher, like, is, is that the case or did I just make that up? Well, I can, I can imagine it for a jazz musician, but I was classically trained, Mark. So what happens is you grow into a very, very fixed frame with a lot of rules and you comply, you comply, you comply. People tell you where, where to stand, how to stand, mm -hmm. how to hold your music, when to smile, when to breathe. And you don't really think for yourself. So then when somebody says, now you be the educator, I felt completely unable to do mm. that. I was not prepared. But what I did do was I recognized that aha moment that I wanted from early on in my life that kept that kept me going. And so I went into media relations and discovered a real sceny side of public relations and media relations, and I didn't like it. And then I went for my first massage, and that was 1984, probably before you guys were born. I don't know. Mark was born. Um, I was on my way. That was in grade four, grade right? five. So I go for my first massage, and within 10 minutes, I think, oh, my God, this is like communication at its purest because – that person that's touching me can't lie and they know if I'm lying. And I seem to be all about the lie. This was your thought during your yeah, first yeah. massage? Within 10 minutes of having the first massage. This is yeah. wild. I wonder if my clients are thinking this. <laughs> I, I've seen some of your clients. They're not thinking this. <laughs> I could do this. I could do this. This is what I could do. And literally from that day till now... That's what I've been doing. That is not the story I was expecting. I feel like everybody who gets into massage therapy has some sort of personal experience with it, but it's usually like, you know, it was this transcendent moment or I, you know, nothing else was healing me and this healed me or <laughs> Don't and you, you were like, my story. <laughs> well, your story was different. You wanted to meet girls. That's a sign. <laughs> See, it's not always this massive transformation. What, what made you think I just want to make sure I understand, like when you're getting this treatment and you think this person can't lie and they know if I'm lying, is it the physical touch that makes you think that? Is it like, yeah? Okay. So, so I had worked in public relations, media relations. I had stood in front of a microphone many, many times. I'd been on the stage. I knew how to communicate. I knew how to communicate dishonestly. I knew how to communicate that everything was fine. When it wasn't, I was really good at that. And I saw something authentic and real. I wanted somebody who was just a transparent and, you know, so that the person that you see is who you see. And this woman, her name was Faith. She was a massage therapist in Toronto. I never met her from 1984 till now. Um, we're probably close in age. And I was doing a, an event where I was speaking publicly and I thought if I survive, because I was in the CN Tower, if I survive and I get down this elevator, I'm going to go for a massage. And so I did. And so she was quiet. She was soft-spoken. She brought me to this beautiful little treatment room in the hotel where, where I was staying. She said, this is how you get on the table and left the room. And I was just 
in awe. It was like a spiritual experience because suddenly I felt like I had come home to something. I'd come home to something in myself. This is the kind of communication I've always wanted to do. And I love working with my hands. So this was a perfect match. It was a marriage. Was there a gap? The way you're sounding very passionately about it makes it sound like there was a gaping hole that needed to be filled. And this was the, the means to do that. Is, is that. Am I off on that? No, no, that's absolutely right. Um, one of the, I've talked about authenticity and that is a, a key motivator for me. So when I was doing public relations, for a variety of reasons, one of the the, uh, files that I was required to manage was a corruption file in my organization that I was working in. So I was going in front of the public and telling them everything's fine, but it wasn't. And I hated that. Mm -hmm. I, I Someone said to me, oh, you could have a real career in public relations. And I thought, I will become an alcoholic if I stay in public relations. I couldn't stand who I was because I felt like I was lying all the time. And then I went for this massage and it was like, Bing! oh, my God, this was this was I really saw the light in that moment as a, just a very incredible opportunity for honesty. That level of self-awareness, is that something that you work on? Or is that something that is just naturally Pam? Um, I had a lot of reasons to have um, uh, self-awareness early in my life, <laughs> family related. And uh, so I, I had a lot of experience in self-awareness. I'm glad you asked that because that's what I was thinking. Like, So I, I relate to so many things you said before getting into massage therapy. Um, so I have a, de- a degree in kinesiology that, and my background was in uh, fitness because the way I paid through university to get my kinesiology degree is I was doing personal training. So when I graduated at the time, kinesiology was not a regulated healthcare profession. I graduated in 2007. So it was, you know, it came soon after, maybe what, six, seven years after. So when I graduated, I went back to what I knew and I went back to personal training. And within a few months of being back in the gym and training, I was presented the opportunity to become the general manager of the fitness club that I was training in. And for a 23-year-old, I was like, what? Cool. Like, I'm just thinking I'm going to make all this money and now I'm in the boss. And so I jumped at it. Yeah. Two months into it, I was like, I am nothing more than a manipulative salesperson. And I was disgusted with myself. I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. So I quit and I had to get a job really quick. And um, the job I ended up taking, funny enough, was another sales job. But I remember when I went for the interview for this next job, uh, the person interviewing me said, like, I just see so many um, good qualities in you. You, I, I can't remember how he described me, but he was sort of describing this salesperson. And I said, oh, I said, no, no, but that's not... That's not who I want to be. I said, unfortunately, I'm a salesperson. He goes, well, what do you mean, unfortunately? I said, I'm good at it. I, I, can, I can communicate that way. As you said, I can communicate dishonestly, but I didn't feel good about it. Anyway, I ended up taking that job for a short while. And eventually, when I got into massage, I realized I could help people the way I was in training and teach them how to care for themselves, how to improve their, their health and their wellness. But I didn't have to lie. Like, there was never a point in massage school or when I got out into practice, like lying doesn't fit anywhere. I Mm. could actually just talk to people. And the other thing I related with you is you're talking about authenticity. 
I want to ask you a question about your thoughts on the word professionalism. Oh. Let me tell you why. <laughs> so um, I teach business. And one of you know the the takeaways that I hope people get when they come to any of my business training is that when you're going into business, what makes people successful is this authentic piece. So like exactly what you said, you're going to be busy because if you buy your own bullshit, if you believe in what you're saying, if it's authentic, if it's genuine, you're going to attract other people who feel and think the same way you do. And so you'll end up being very, very busy with like-minded people who are the people you want in your practice anyway, right? This It's a perfect match. And there's a lot of talk about what it means to be professional. And I always tell the people that I'm working with that the definition of that word is, I think, very often used incorrectly, or it's it's defined incorrectly in the way that I look at it. So before I tell you how I define professionalism, I want to know your thoughts on what it means to be professional in this career specifically. Dun, dun, dun. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Not to put you uh, on the spot. That is such a big question because I could tell you what professionalism is fundamentally according to the regulator, but I think professionalism for me and hopefully for my students who have graduated from our program is that you have a very clear eye division of the nature of the work that you're in and you represent it to its highest standard at any given point and that you never forget who you are as a massage therapist be you in a disco <laughs> you know you could be clubbing but you are always a massage therapist because you could meet a client right right over there. And your professional persona has to be very close to the surface and be very, very readily available to you. That If that's who you are, if that's in your DNA, you'll represent the, the profession beautifully. But if you're questioning yourself or why you're in the profession or you're not quite sure what all those rules mean or whatever. It's very hard to be professional when you get to that point where your where push comes to shove and you have, have to actually be a good person. That's hard when you don't really, when you're not really clear about the role. I think it's the role. I think it comes down to the role. I agree with you hundred percent. It comes down to the role. So when I'm talking to people about professionalism, I say, stop focusing on how you speak, how you dress, how you act. Like it's, it's bigger than that. It's about the fact that who are your clients? What do they need from you? Why are they coming to you? And how you how you show up in that role and take care of them while, of course, as you said, still making sure that you you know these rules and the standards and you know your scope of practice. But it's more about the fact that you've got people coming to you, trusting you as the professional. And how are you how are you, how serious are you taking that role? Are you making sure that the people that are coming to you are getting what they're expecting from you? So, um, yeah, I think you know authenticity, as you've said a million million times, is is a key player here. And I dig it so much when that message just gets received. Like we did a course this weekend, and there was this one particular person that was in that was in our course, 
And she started, we did a double shot where there was people that were in class and there was also people that were online. And the first day they came and they sat in class. And the second day they're like, we can probably do this from home. We're probably a little bit more comfortable at home. So we'll stay at home. And when they were in class, I was like, uh, I, I, I was, I didn't know if they were with us. Do you know what I mean? Like I couldn't read if they, are you, are you with us? Are you with us? And it's not till after the course that one of our participants posted this really nice video on Instagram talking about the course. Do you remember exactly what she said? Like rough, She just like, said yeah, it was yeah. one of the most liberating experiences in her professional career because we weren't trying to fit her into a box. We were actually encouraging her to embrace her weirdness and be real and create the practice that is most genuine for her. And both of us were just, it was exactly as you said, when you're singing and you realize like you've, you've hit that mark, we were like, Oh, she did understand what we were saying over the last two days. And she was with us. But it was so hard to read in that moment. I'm like, is she with us or is she not with us? She was absorbing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was was really cool to watch. (laughs) It was really cool to watch. Do you get that feeling when you're teaching, Pam? Like you're just, yeah. um, I've said this a number of times. I've learned probably more from my students than they've ever learned from me right? They are my teachers. My clients have been my teachers. Yes, I've got some formal learning in a variety of different directions. But every time I encounter somebody and they challenge me in some way, shape or form, I'm learning. And I love that. I'm kind of a perpetual learner. And so when I encounter students who maybe don't fit the norm. They don't fit the, the typical uh, pattern. Um, they're always great teachers for me. And I learned so much. You know, there are people who are way better at representing their own authenticity because frankly, they don't have a choice to be anything but who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, I've learned how to be slightly different from how I feel inwardly. I'm pretty good at that. But there are people out in the world who can't, they can't varnish themselves. They are frank and exactly what you see is, is what you get. And, and I have a great uh, admiration for that. And there are clients who need those folks. So there's room for all of us under the tent of massage therapy. Absolutely. I, I, I find as an educator, I'm just really passionate about learning and I'm learning all the time. So tomorrow will be your last day at Algonquin. What about um, you in terms of, you know, the continuing education you teach about your, um, like the, I guess you do some, some, is it coaching or mentoring with therapists and your actual practice? Those things are not going away yet, are they? No, uh, no, not at all. In fact, I'm, I'm leaving the weekly gig of uh, five uh, courses, a term. Uh, and, and there's a lot of pressure to um, teach on zoom. I, I've gotten pretty good at it, but I'm getting a little tired of it. And I'm <laughs> looking forward to not having to do that every week. But what I'm looking forward to doing is building some uh, um, continuing ed opportunities for educators um, because there's not a lot out there. And I also uh, teach a a workshop in trauma-informed care, which I've been doing through 
the Manitoba Association and a few other people want that as well. I've been doing workshops for years, you know, all through my work at Algonquin. So I'll continue to do some of that. I've got some writing ideas that I um, want to have space and time to explore. Uh, I still do peer supervision. So when when therapists are in a pickle or they've had a complaint against them or something like that, they can call me and I'll walk with them through that journey of responding to a complaint. Um, I uh, mentor other educators. So, you know, all of those things, I look forward to having time to do. So you're not slowing down even a little bit, actually. (laughs) Anybody that knows me knows I'm not slowing down. You're not stopping. Changing the focus. (laughs) Yeah. So you still practice as well, though, yeah? I do. I, I have a very small practice. I I affectionately call my clients my Klingons because they've been with me for so many years. Um, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just keep walking with them until my hands can't let me keep doing this work, I think. Don't know when that is. Give us a rundown of all the stuff that you've been doing. Let's go back to like some of the stuff that you've done in, in this profession that maybe the newer therapist doesn't know. Well, I was a massage student at Sutherland Chan and uh, just graduating. And I got invited to be on the board of what was then called the OMTA, who mm-hmm. later became the RMTAO. And I graduated and I set up my practice in May and then the president quit and the board said, you be president. So within uh, three or four months of getting my registration, I was president of the association and did that for six years. Did you like strut in there confidently or were you shaking in your boots? Because I feel like if so, I had been a therapist for 10 minutes and they were like, all right, you be president. Yeah, but there's, but, there, but then there's, there's still all of the other background that comes along. No, I with, know, but I want to you know, know, were you, were you terrified or were you like, yeah, I got this. I was kind of like that because I've done so much. I've done yes. so much performing. I could do anything, right? I thought I could do anything. And what I couldn't, what I didn't know, I didn't know. I would figure out uh, that's kind of the way I have rolled all my life, right? You don't strike me as the type that swears a lot, but I do. But like, you're kind of a oh badass. My goodness, <laughs> I swear a lot. Why does why did she why does she strike you as the type that doesn't swear a lot? I don't know. I don't know. I just got the impression. Maybe I'm wrong. I just got the impression that she, you know, didn't have as much of a filthy mouth as I did. But as she's talking, like, man, you're. a one freaking I'm badass. I'm curious what gave you that impression, though. <laughs> I don't to know. To me, I'm, I'm staring at the Zoom screen. I'm like, she likes a stiff drink, a cigar, and and and, 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 and to say fuck every once in a while. <laughs> you got two out of three. I don't think she likes the cigars. <laughs> I'm not, not big on cigars. The rest of it, absolutely, yes. All right. But yes, like that is so badass. I love that. You just got into the profession, and you're like, I'll figure it out. Anything I don't know already, I don't worry. Don't worry about it. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. And then once I got into the profession, I met, uh, you've probably heard of the amazing Trish Dryden. Yes. So Trish had just finished as president of the College of Massage Therapists, which was then the board of directors of Masseurs um, before 1991. So she had just retired as their president and I was coming in as president of the Provincial Association. So we connected and discovered quite by chance that 
we were working with the same population. She was working with clients who had a history of trauma. So was I. And what was really fascinating to us was that we were doing pretty much the same thing uh, in terms of our approach to care. So we wrote, um, we, we taught some courses, we wrote a couple of articles on trauma and uh, yeah, I, I taught breast massage a number of times with Deborah Curtis, who wrote the book on breast massage. And yep. then, then my husband and I moved to Hong Kong and we lived in Asia for a couple of years. So when I came back, I'd been back for a minute and uh, Doug Alexander asked me if I wanted to co-teach with him at Algonquin. And so I thought, oh, okay, I, what do I know? I'm not, I'm not trained as a teacher. Okay. Sounds interesting. So I did. And when, once again, like, you know, you can fake it until you make it, that, that would be me. So I faked it. And if you talk to my first students, they will tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know, do you know that you're leaving a mark in the profession? Do you know that in the moments when you're, when you're coming up with something good, when you're doing something great, when you're doing something that's, that's going against the mold, do you know, I'm leaving my mark here, or are you just doing whatever it is that feels right for you to do? It's a a kind of a combination of both. I, I know that I have certain gifts and what didn't necessarily work in music is really, really working in massage therapy, right? So what I wasn't a very, you know, I wasn't going to make it as a musician, but I love what I do. Mm. And when somebody really is passionate about the thing, like, you know, I'm nerdy enough that I just like to read books about massage and I talk to friends about massage and I've been doing this for 34 years, right? So um, yeah, I know that when I leave Algonquin, for example, there's going to be a little bit of a hole, but I am quite confident that hopefully that there are a number of people who feel similarly to the way I do, that they're going to get their chance to put their spin on things because that's what we really need is more voices. I, it can't all be all me. Good God. <laughs> so the evolution of this profession in the past thir- 34, you said 34? 34 years. 34 years. What what does that look like to you when you when you sit back with your stiff drink and not your cigar? When you sit back with your stiff drink and you're reflecting on the past thirty four years, what are some of the major changes that you're like, hmm, that 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 needed to happen? Um, okay, I'm gonna be uh, really do it. I think w- one of the things that that uh, had to happen was I had to write my textbook because there is no textbook in existence about massage therapy, professional practice issues. And so I wrote the book. So I'm really proud of that. And I think that is one of my uh, crowning achievements as a massage therapist. Yeah, I feel pretty proud about that. I know this is like slightly off topic, but not really. I want to go back to the trauma for a second. Because we, um, we've gotten a few people reach out to us who have said, have you guys 
done an episode on trauma-informed practice. We did do one a while back with somebody, um, but I feel like if we're going to delve into this, Pam's the person we need to be talking to well, about this. I'm pretty this. sure our guest had many sit-downs with Pam yes. as well about this. Yes. So um, I just, you know, we, we won't, this episode isn't about trauma-informed practice, but for people who are listening and don't qu- even quite understand what that means, first of all, you can tell us maybe in a nutshell what that is, but also why why should RMTs care about this? Well, the statistics are such that uh, probably one in three women, got that, 30% of women at some point in their life have been assaulted. One in five men have been assaulted sexually. Uh, Many, many people live with family histories of violence, domestic violence, abuse, alcoholism, social problems, uh, family members with mental health issues. Um, And then you talk about the, the, the issues that we've been facing as a country in the last month as we've discovered the uh, challenges of Indigenous people all over Canada. Um, When you start recognizing the layers and layers and layers, generational trauma, as well as cultural trauma, and then personal trauma that exists, you cannot avoid seeing clients in your practice who have histories of trauma. It's, It's just, it's impossible. Even if they don't tell you. Uh, they will tell you if they trust you. And then that becomes one of those complex situations where a massage therapist has to figure out how far can I go with this conversation? When does it, when am I outside of my scope of practice? When do I need to send this person for referral? Or what are the questions that I can ask safely of this individual? Uh, and not uh, not be doing the wrong thing. Those are the things that got me going as a massage therapist. That's why I do this stuff. How hard is it for you to not bring that home or do you bring that home? Oh, that's a really interesting question. I would say that when I was um, uh, undergoing a lot of personal stress, I was caring for parents who had some pretty severe um Um, conditions that they needed help with and I was writing and I was teaching man I brought stuff home and I had to go on a medical leave I was extremely stressed and burnt out so I know what that feels like as well but in terms of client stories um, I learned I learned some techniques for managing self-care and uh, those kept me uh, um, on an even keel. Yeah. Do you think for massage therapists, you know, we were talking about how difficult it is to teach somebody emotional intelligence and even sometimes to teach somebody critical thinking, to be honest, even though that's, that's a major part of our profession as well, but it is, it is difficult. Do you think there are some therapists that, um, I don't know how I say this, like, I don't want to, I don't want to be offensive, but some therapists who really like have no business dealing with people who have who have been through major trauma and like do you think that they would be able to recognize that and maybe or do you teach how to recognize that and how to refer out because this is not the patient for you and you're not going to be doing them any sort of justice 
seeing you? Well, the the patients or the clients will recognize whether they can trust their therapists or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if the therapist is telling them what to do, they won't t- say a word because telling somebody what to do is, is reminiscent of being traumatized. Mm-hmm. You have no choice. You just do what you're told. Um, so uh, clients will know immediately who's safe to talk to. Right. And in the same way, people who want a, a course of massage therapy training that teaches them what to say and how to say it, and they don't want to engage in their own thinking themselves, they will not see clients uh, who share stories of trauma because they will not feel like safe individuals for those people to, to talk with. Yeah, that's so true. clients self-select. Really. Yeah, I'm sure a client can tell if a therapist is highly uncomfortable and doesn't know how to react in these situations, and they will pull back and they won't say anything. You know, um, I, if you've ever heard us talk about anything ever, I say like my clients, um, they tell me everything. They tell me things I'm almost shocked that they tell me. Like literally, the things that come out of people's mouths sometimes even almost throw me off off my feet. I'm like, what? Just what? Okay. Well, so it's, it's because they're they're uh, lying between sheets with nothing on. It's pillow talk. Yeah. For many clients, right? But but when clients share uh, information about traumatic history, wow, you really need to know what your role is in that moment yeah. because the potential for you to step over the line is huge. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Definitely. Did you ever make, for lack of a better way to describe it, the mistake of stepping over? Every story that is contained in my textbook is based in personal experience of mistakes that I have made. I have made every mistake in the book. Oh, my God. It's a terrible, terrible uh, way to learn. But if you can reflect on your own errors and actually make something out of those errors, then that's that's the best you can say in a circumstance. Oh yes, I have stepped over the line and then felt the consequence of that. I felt the the enormous weight of the the responsibility for somebody who told me too much because I didn't know how to contain the the experience. I'm sure there's people that are going to listen to this and be nodding along like, "Oh yeah, I've done some done some cringy things. I've said some cringy things." And but yes, you're right. The only way I'd like I I sound like I'm talking to my 7-year-old now. The only way to learn is by recognizing your mistakes and figuring out where you went wrong the first time so you don't do it again. You know, though sometimes the stuff that you do, you might not even think it's a mistake or you might you might stand so strong behind what you do. And it might be a mistake in terms of of your professional obligations or whatever the case is, but you're just so hardcore with what I'll give you an example. I'm waiting, I'm waiting for the day the CMTO sends me an email that says um, there's a little bit of misconduct here. According to the code of ethics, fourth principle, the last tenant, and uh, what you're doing is considered unethical the way you speak on this podcast and blah, 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 blah. And I'm okay with whatever those consequences are because I so firmly believe in what we're doing and how I feel this needs to be, this needs to be done, this really kind of stripped down raw version of what happens with therapists that I'm okay to accept that consequence. So does, does any of this ever happen to you or ever happen to you? Like, you know what? Fuck the rules. 
because what I'm doing here, I feel is more important than the fucking rules right now. Oh, I've certainly had that impression at times. I've certainly lived those uh, feelings. Um, uh, but what I did, especially when I was working pretty much wholly with clients with uh, major trauma, uh, complex trauma situations, was I had a supervisor. So I would take my concerns to an individual and we would talk through the case, not to identify the client, not to um, put me in a position of divulging confidences, but more in terms of helping me process what was going on in the treatment room. You know, this is very uh, standard practice for psychotherapists, for psychologists. They must have a supervisor. Uh, and in massage therapy, given all the complexities of what we see, we don't have any requirement for peer assessment or for peer supervision. We have peer assessment, but we don't have any peer supervision. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating to me. That is interesting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But you know, can I just say that um, one of the one of the ways that we can really, really get into trouble is that massage therapists are generally very kind. They're kind people. They're compassionate. They, they, they don't want to hurt anybody. So when a client tells you some of these stories, which are heartbreakingly sad, when people tell you the story of their life, if we don't have a firm grasp on what our role is in that moment, we have the potential to drown in their story. And that's... Um, That's a form of empathy called effective empathy. And it's a real problem for massage therapists because when I look at the case, um, the complaints that are posted on the CMTO website Mm -hmm. against massage therapists, quite often there are communication choices that the therapist has made. And I will read between the lines and think, oh my goodness, this is not because this person is bad. This is this person has no boundaries. This person is drowning in the client's story and they're getting drawn in and they're vulnerable. And so massage therapists are really vulnerable to all kinds of uh, disclosures as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, that's what gets them into real, real trouble. So anyway, it's another obsession. It is a very intimate thing we do. So I, you know, I can see how some people, again, if you don't have the emotional intelligence to know, like, this is, this is not my story. This is, you know, I need to have these boundaries here. Then I can see how people would get sucked into it. And it's, you know, it's human nature too, as much as yes, the therapist needs to recognize this. Sometimes it really is just a good human getting, getting pulled into something that was not theirs to begin with. And it can get messy, messy. Oh messy. my goodness. Human beings are messy and we are human beings too. So we're messy. I find all of this very fascinating. See, this is the stuff that I enjoy. Like when we teach, I enjoy the introspective stuff. I enjoy the self-awareness stuff. I enjoy the communication because all of this is, as you said, a very, very big part of our job. Mark is probably the... uh the smartest therapist I know in terms of like everything. It's only because I mean, you know two therapists. <laughs> <laughs> Stop. <laughs> no, but I mean, like him and I are teaching partners, right? And 
I usually take a back seat when we are talking about techniques or assessment or whatever. Because I'm like, Mark, you have like a Rolodex in your brain that just pulls out every piece of information whenever. When I get really fired up is when we start talking about these kinds of things. So it was really awesome to get to hear it from you because I feel like hearing it from you, I'm like, man, I'm just not even as smart as I thought I was. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I need to be taken down a notch. Thanks. I think this is a good time, though, to give out some information for anyone who hasn't, you know, looked into any of the stuff you've done, you know, their publications as a book, all of these things that, you know, people who might want to learn from you, how what's the best way for them to access you? Well, the, the best way is to go onto my website, because all of the old articles that I've written over the years are archived there, and they can download them if they want. If they want to purchase the book, the link for how you get the book is there. Uh, If people want to contact me because they have a question, they want to do uh, an informal chat with me, um, just to problem solve. If they're they're facing an ethical dilemma, they can do that. Um, Or if they want to set up peer supervision formally, I can do that as well. so the, the the website is the easiest way to, to reach me. Can you, I'm going to put a link to it in the notes for the episode, but can you um, give out your website right now on the episode as well? Sure. It's www.pamelafitch-rmt.com. Awesome. This has been kind of refreshing. I it's like very this. refreshing. I like uh, it. Do you have any other questions for Pam? If you had to pick one single thing that you want to see happen in this profession, in Ontario, in the next five years, a single thing, what would you love to see happen? Advanced care practice guidelines for complex conditions. Our profession doesn't have it, and other professions have them in spades. We need to get beyond teaching our students just at entry to practice level. We need guidelines that are national for all massage therapists, and how to manage complex conditions like trauma and end of life. You had that answer like super fast. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This might not have been the first time you thought about it. (laughs) No, it is not. No, that's great. Thanks for asking it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Before we sign off tonight, Pam, is there anything else you want? You know, any more golden nuggets of wisdom or, you know, knowledge bombs to drop on us before? (laughs) Knowledge bombs. Like I told you, she brought me down a peg. I was like, oh, man, I'm just not quite as smart as uh, Amanda thought she was. All right. (laughs) I I just think that the the thing that we need to remember as massage therapists, 100%, is that we treat people. We don't treat conditions. Mm -hmm. We treat their people's conditions, but we treat people first. And people are messy. They are and we are. So we we have to get our shit together, you know? in order to be good therapists. I like that. I like it too. I dig this. Thank you. Thank you for hanging out with us tonight. I really appreciate this. It was my pleasure. Right on. You guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists and a Microphone. Peace.